Hey, good morning. How's it going? Ma'am. Ma'am, you can actually just come up here. Come on, come on up here. Come on. Come on. The water's warm. If you have your Bible, we're going to do some different stuff this morning, but I want to start and give you sort of the parameters of what we're talking about and the application that we see or the instruction from Scripture, Acts chapter 16, Acts 16. We're going to show you some pictures of Thailand here. Do you have that PowerPoint going? There we go. Thank you. We're going to show some. T- we're going to talk a little bit about obstacles that need to be overcome if we're going to be true followers of Christ and really ride for the brand, hun. And just, n- n- just, just a second. Okay, got a lot of things going on in my very hairless head. <laughs> Act, uh, Acts sixteen verses one through three. Before you read this, I want to ask the question. Beforehand, as, you, as we read these verses, we're not spend t- time digging deep into them. I want to simply start with the question. How concerned is God, or how, yeah, how concerned is God about our comfort when he asks us to ride the brand for Christ? How high of a priority is it for God that we have a nice, easy life and we do simply what's most comfortable for us. With that in mind, Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. Paul came to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a what? Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, probably not a believer. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of what? Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. We're not going to, I don't even want to spend too much time on this because I don't want to spend too much time talking about what happened here. What did Timothy need to do in order to minister to other people? What did God require of Timothy for Timothy to obey and ride the brand? It's a pretty awful thing to think about. How comfortable would it be? You don't need to raise your hand. This is not... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Moving along. (laughs) It would have hurt. It would have been embarrassing. I'm sure he would have been mocked among his own friends. Why in the world are you doing this? So that what? So that what? So that Timothy could reach people who would be offended if he didn't do that. That's it. If Timothy didn't go through circumcision, would it have been sin before God? No. Unless God asked him to, well then, yeah. What normally wouldn't be sinful 
when God puts it on our plate and, we, and this, is the, this is the life, this is the path that he wants us to ride, then it becomes a matter of obedience and disobedience. I want to talk about some things I've learned today, and I want all under the, the theme of if we're going to ride the brand, there's going, to be, there's going to come a point in our lives as Christian where we're going to make decisions about whether we're going to choose to be comfortable and stay with the way we've always done it and probably never accomplish what the Lord has for us, or we're going to have to step outside and do things that we don't understand, we don't feel comfortable with, we feel embarrassed about. And the reality is we're all sitting here today because people before us did those very things. We sit here today because Christians before us were willing to be embarrassed. We're willing to be uncomfortable. None of what we see here at IRBC is, it was built up because of comfort. So if it's going on to the next generation, there's going to have to be people who are willing to be uncomfortable. Here's some things that I learned as I sort of say, show you some pictures and walk through what life is like for us in Thailand. Things I didn't know when I went to Thailand in the beginning. I've had to learn, had to figure out how do I deal with these things. Thailand, right? Southeast Asia, it's a country of 70 million people now. As I said last night, 94, 95% Buddhist, another 4 to 5% Muslim, less than 1% Christian of any kind or denomination. We live in Bangkok. Bangkok's a city of about 12 million people. When we come up to northern Iowa like this, we feel alone. <laughs> because we're so used to just being surrounded by people all the time. Although when we come into the chapel area and there's all these people and you're trying to find a way to get around other people, that's like walking in a mall in Bangkok, so it feels comfortable. 12 million people. My coworker and I, back in 2009, we started looking at where places are, where churches were and where they weren't. We found one section of Bangkok on Bangkok's east, or excuse me, western side, that purple area where we found there was a whole area that had no churches and one particular had never had, to our, to our, after our study, to our knowledge, had never had any kind of gospel witness ever, ever. That area is called Pinklao. And in the surround, that purple area, there's probably about four million people in that area, no churches, none. So we said, this is where we think the Lord wants us to go. We had no core group, cell group, small group. We knew no one. We just knew this is where we want to go share the gospel. So we get there, we find a building to rent. This is still our church building to this day. It's this big, long uh, set of row houses, kind of like townhouses, but a little wider. We have both those buildings right there. We rent that, and that's been Cloud Baptist Church. At the time, we, we rented this building, those two sort of locks there. We used the bottom two floors for the church, and my family lived in the top two floors. And we just started passing out tracts. We started talking to people. We started teaching English as a second language, using that to meet people, trying to get people to tell people about Christ and, start, and ask people to come to church and ask people if they're interested in studying the Bible. For the first four months that we opened our church, four months, no one came. We would pass out tracts. We would talk to people. We had English students come, adult English students, children coming to our church on Saturday, coming on Tuesdays. And we would invite them. No one came. So every Sunday, we would prepare. Here's our two, these two missionary families coming together. We would prepare everything that we're going to do in both English and Thai. English, if no one came. Thai, if one sorry soul walked through and found all these foreigners and decided to stay. After four months, a lady who had been saved in university moved to our area, gets one of our brochures. She's the first person to start to come to our church. Shortly thereafter, one of my English students starts to come into our church. So then we had two for about three months. That's how it went. Little by little, 
You'd be surprised when you put yourself in God's path, you'd be surprised God actually wants to work. Sometimes we get the idea, maybe sometimes it's in a way we've grown up in the Christian family, sometimes it's in our churches, or we get this idea that maybe God just doesn't want to do stuff. That's not true. You get in God's way, he wants to do stuff. Little by little, one by one, our church started to grow so that from nothing, from all these first generation Christians in 2014, we busted out a, a wall in our church because more people were starting to come in 2014. We, had, we, we actually made our church an official church where we had a charter and we said, if you will give yourself to the membership and be responsible and accountable to the membership at Bingla Baptist Church, come forward and sign this document. Other churches came to be witness to this process. 24 people ages 18 and above came and signed their name to that charter saying, I give myself to the membership of Bingla Baptist Church. From zero and no one else coming for four months, 2014, 24 people came. That was one of the most awesome days of my life to see me being used by God and then seeing these people who are now taking it and doing farther than I could ever dream of. It's awesome. God wants to do stuff. I'm going to say it again. God wants to do stuff. Challenges of a Buddhist country. You've seen, I'm sure you've seen pictures of Buddhist images and things like that. I want to talk before we get into what, pe what Buddhist people think. I just want to express with you some, some here this morning, later, and what's the, what's the, the evening thing? Seekers. Summit Seekers. We're going to talk even more in depth about the need in Asia for the gospel. But really quickly, I, I did some research, and here's what I found. The gospel in Buddhist countries. In Buddhist-majority countries, there are seven Buddhist-majority countries in the world. Only seven. There are other countries that have large Buddhist populations, but not Buddhist-majorities. And all these countries, the country that has the highest percentage of Christians really is Sri Lanka, 7.4%. And in Sri Lanka, that, the majority of that 7.4% that would call themselves Christians are Catholic. Do not believe in a salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. That's the highest percentage. Why am I talking about this? We often think of, when we think of the most needy places in the world, the places that are stone cold to the gospel, we, our minds tend to run to Muslim countries. And I'm not going to argue that, that Muslim countries don't need the gospel. They absolutely do. I will say there's a whole other part of the world that is just as needy as the Muslim countries. And although this area, this area of the world, the Buddhist world, is not violently opposed to the gospel, they are nevertheless just as needy and they care just as little about the gospel as the Muslim countries do. In fact, the truth be told, a lot of those Muslim countries that are majority Muslim, even 99% Muslim today, in their past have had their opportunity for the gospel. They, they had a time, a period of time. For example, Turkey. Turkey had a time where the gospel was presented in the first century, right? The Apostle Paul goes throughout Turkey. There was, the gospel was spread. It was responded to. Churches were established. Islam came along. Christianity isn't, wasn't what it used to be. But in the Buddhist world, you guys, in the Buddhist world, there has never been a day, not one day in human history, where in the Buddhist world, and then from first century on, 
till now, there's never been a day where the gospel hasn't had any kind of movement whatsoever, any kind of response whatsoever in the Buddhist world. That would mean since the creation of the world, there's an area of the world to this day that has always, always, always been under the power of Satan. That bothers me. But if we read the Bible literally, where someday in heaven we're going to sing songs to the Savior, and the Bible says there's going to be people singing from every tribe, tongue, and nation, you know what that means? It might happen in your lifetime, and you could be part of it. That's, that gets me up in the morning. It hasn't happened yet, so it could happen. The need is, is beyond even describing. Buddhist beliefs. What do Buddhist beliefs? Here's the goal of Buddhism. Here, here's where it is. The goal of Buddhism is simply to cease to exist. Cease to exist. There's, the, the goal of a Buddhist isn't go to heaven. The, bo- the goal of the Buddhist is to completely be annihilated, done away, where there's no consciousness whatsoever. That is the goal of a true Buddhist. That's it. They don't want to be reincarnated anymore. They don't want to suffer anymore. They, don't want to, they just want to cease to exist. When we see this, you see people bowing down to Buddhist, a Buddhist image. When I first went to Thailand, I thought, oh, they're worshiping just like I worship because I've grown up in a good Christian family, I go to a good, school, a good church, went to Christian school, as you know. And when we go to church and we, when we see these things, we think worship. Oh, they're worshiping their Buddha image like we worship God. That's not what they're doing. When you see a Buddhist bow down to an idol like, the, like in these pictures right here, there's no worship happening. They don't believe in God. There is no one deity of whom they, to whom they should ascribe praise and honor. What they're simply doing, this is honest to goodness truth, they're asking one of four or five things and making a promise that if those one or four or five things are given, they'll do something in return. If it's a young person, they're often asking for a good test scores so they can get good to a university. Number two, they'll ask for money. Number three, win the lottery. Win the lottery, number four, good health. One of those things right there. That is literally what's taking place when you see a Buddhist bowing down to an aisle. They're simply asking for something very tangible to help their life right now. And they believe, not in God, but there's some sort of sacred presence, sacred spirit that has been confined to that image or represented in that image that maybe can help them. And so what they do, they say, I need this, would you do this? If you do this, then I will do this for you. Maybe I'll give a donation to the temple. Maybe I'll do some, sort, I'll do some specific Buddhist ceremony. There is no worship in Buddhism. So we're... That's, that's something that needs to be overcome. When you think of, you worship Buddha like we worship God. No, that's not it. So that changes the way you think, and that changes the way you witness. They don't care about worship. It's simply a means to an end for them. So when you have no God, you're taught not to put a lot of weight in worship. Man, we are built to worship. Being made in the image of God, you were made to worship. And all mankind, no matter what country he lives in, is made to worship. 
So what do they do? They find that this is where they still have not let go of the religions of the past. And they're very, very superstitious. There's far more weight put on superstition in Buddhist countries, frankly, than on real, true Buddhist doctrine or Buddhist teaching. I'll give you an illustration of this truck right here. This truck right here, what color is the truck? It's either silver or gray, right? That sticker on the truck says, Rutkanisi, um, this truck is black. What happened was the, the, the owner of this truck, he has he saved enough money, he's going to go buy a new truck. So he goes to a fortune teller or goes to a medium and says, what kind of truck would be, what color truck would be lucky for me? The soothsayer, the medium, talks with the spirit supposedly and said, the, the lucky color for you is black. That's what I'm seeing. It's black. The owner of the truck says, I live in stinking Thailand. I'm not buying a black truck. It's going to be hot. So there are other people who are sticker sellers. They have blessed these stickers. And so now that you can go buy a sticker, you put it on the back of your truck so that it fools the spirits. So now your truck is safe from unlucky things happening. And you see these all over Thailand, all over. This truck is black. A pink taxi, this taxi's red, this taxi's green, and so on and so forth. I don't say this because I want to get beat up, <laughs> but in my mind, when I see that and I hear it explained to me, I'm like, so you're saying that the spirits can read, but they're colorblind. <laughs> and that's something, if you make fun of it, you'll probably either get beat up or you'll never have the opportunity to witness. That was something I had to get through. How does a Buddhist think? Here's what it comes down to. Maintaining honor is more important than truth. Maintaining honor is more important than truth. I'll tell you a couple stories. These two guys right there, there are a couple more guys, but here, here are two guys in particular uh, with whom I've been friends for a long time, and I've witnessed to these guys so many times and pleaded with them to trust in Christ. The guy on the left in the green shirt, his name is O. And the guy on the right, his name is M. Both these guys started out as my students in English. They became very good friends of mine. O actually lived for us, with us for a period of time. And my witnessing to them and they're studying the Bible, they would come today, if they had to stand here on this podium and platform today and talk to you, they would admit, I know Christ is the only way to heaven. I know I'm a sinner. I know I will die and go to hell if I do not accept Christ as my Savior. And neither one of them is yet saved in both situations. In both cases, it's because the pressure put on them from their family, even as adult men, is so great that if they were to trust in Christ, their families would completely reject them, kick them out of the family. And for a guy especially, they both come from Chinese families. Living, there's lots of Chinese ancestry people who live in Thailand. Both these guys, the Chinese families are much more strict in their Buddhism. Both these guys, would, they feel the responsibility, even though they don't believe it to be true, the pressure put on them that if a, a, a woman in their family dies, their mom, their grandmother dies, they would have to go and be a monk to make merit for them. The guy on the right in the black t-shirt, M, he was under conviction. One, we, we went to a camp similar to this years ago. He was under conviction. He wanted to accept Christ. He tells his mom one morning at that camp, Mom, I'm gonna, I'm, today I'm going to become a Christian. She says to him, if you become a Christian, don't ever call me mom again. He comes to me, I sit down and says, Pastor Nathan, what do I do? I said, you know what you need to do. I can't. I'll tell a little bit more of his 
testimony in another sermon throughout this week. To this day, neither one of these guys are saved. Because, not because they don't know it's true. They absolutely, absolutely know it's true. They believe it. But in Asia, in Asian culture, truth is not the most important thing. Honor is. Giving honor to your ancestors, to your parents, is far more important than truth. That's really hard. But ultimately, God is in control of that as well. And I found in my own life, and I pray in their lives as well, that the weight of sin will become so strong that family doesn't matter anymore because I just got to get this taken care of with God. Truth is not as important as honor. Morality and sexuality. This has been a long, this is far ahead of where America has been, but America is rapidly catching up. I'll show you a picture of this lady right here. This is one of Thailand's most famous models. Here she is again. Here she is with her boyfriend. She is he. Yep, in Thailand, what's happening in America now, it's been open, accepted, and ever-present in Thailand as long as I've lived in Thailand, which is my first time there was 1998. Every mall and every cosmetic section of a mall, 60% of the people who work in cosmetic section are this. I wouldn't be surprised if, if the number in, in Thailand of men who are considered and would call themselves gay, 10%, which is extremely high. That's just part of Thai culture. The Buddhism says don't commit adultery. They would interpret it to mean anything outside of marriage is fine. And so they do not, there's no connection between morality and sexuality in Thailand. There's no connection. You can do whatever you want sexually as long as you're not married and you, you would never be considered immoral. That's part of our everyday life in Thailand. For some of us in more traditional values, I, this stuff is sinful. And if we allow it to become something in our hearts that causes bitterness or anger, it would turn us from seeing these people as people and souls made in the image of God whom Jesus Christ wants to save. I show you these pictures and I tell you this stuff because in, if these are the people of my community, which they are, I want them part of my church. If I work in Thailand and gay people and people who have, are moving on the transgender lane, if they don't come to Christ and you see people in my church, you, had every right, you have every right to wonder, who in the world is he witnessing to if these people aren't the ones that are in his church? Because they got to be made up of the community. Where are you getting your people from if it's not sinners? I want these people as part of my church. We welcome them because this is the place where truth and change and hope is found. And I could not be more excited. I couldn't be happier to tell you that our last Sunday in Thailand, just four weeks ago, we had a baptismal service. And one of the men who was baptized is saved out of homosexuality. He came to our church. You knew him. He, he dressed very effeminately. Every, you knew he was gay. He admitted so. We started a Bible study with him. He accepted Christ. 
We didn't talk about the issues of life right up front because if the Spirit of God is alive in a person, as we talked about last night, if they're really serious about it, God's going to reveal truth to them simply as they open the Word of God and grow. And he did. And he told my pastor, I have lived this lifestyle. I know it's wrong. By God's grace, I will change. And he was baptized on the last Sunday. We were in Thailand just four weeks ago. And we're dealing with another guy and my counseling who struggles with these very same issues. If these people are part of your community, and they're not, but they're not part of your church, you really need to ask yourself the question, who are we really reaching? Because they're out there. I'm going to say it again. God wants to work. If we can get past some of these things that we put up as barriers, rather than saying, this is wrong, we can't accept this, but they still need Christ. Let's figure out a way. Finally, difficulty in language. You can come on up for this right here. Thailand, all Asian languages are extremely difficult, and that's quite frankly an obstacle for people. I have a number of friends I've talked to over the years who've said things like, Nate, I'd be with you there in a second if I didn't have to learn Thai. Because learning an Asian language is, I'm not going to lie, it's really hard. I say it this way. This is one of my sayings that I've come up with and my missionary friends know. Every day speaking Thai in Thailand is humbling. Some days are humiliating. (laughs) That's just the way life is. Here's part of the reason why. In Thai, this is, there are 44 consonants, four S's, four T's, a couple L's, and so on. Spelling is simply by just memorization. You'd, if you heard a word, you'd never know how to spell it. There are 37 vowels, and then there are five tones. Five tones, so one word, depending on the tone with which it is spoken, changes the meaning completely. So, for example, come on. Here, I'm going to grab you this mic over here because you're going to talk in a minute anyway. Is this on? Yes, it is. All right. Nice clip. Hey, I'm Nate. <laughs> anyway, just anyway, yeah. <laughs> Feel a little flush. <laughs> you can have this one. I got my own mic. Okay, so the word rice. Cow. The news. Cow. White. Cow. Fishy smelling. Cow. Okay, those are all long vowels. Cow, 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 all different words. And then there's a short vowel that sounds awfully similar. For example, um, enter the building. Cow. Your knee. Cow. He, she, or it. Cow. Okay. So cow, cow, <laughs> cow, right? All right, so then with one, <laughs> yeah, you can see where there's a little challenge. So... You can actually, then you can just take whole, one word, seemingly one word, and then you can make whole sentences. For example, uh, don't burn new wood. My, 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 my. My, my, my. <laughs> what have we burned? <laughs> Not only that, so, so that, that's, a, that's a sig- very significant challenge. I'll tell you. Thankfully, by God's grace, my worst mistake was not made while I was preaching. That'd be really bad. My worst mistake was, was made while I was in language school. What's the word for ride your bicycle? 
Key. What's the, ver- the word for going number two? Key. Mm. You see where this is going, don't you? <laughs> so I was known in my language school for a period of time as Mr. Key because I was the guy who pooped his bicycle to the bus stop. <laughs> it didn't hurt. <laughs> Anyway, and then Thailand is also home to the world's longest named city, and that city is Bangkok. Now, Bangkok is what foreigners call that capital city, but here's the true name of of the capital city of Bangkok, of Thailand. That means, she asked me, is that correct? I said, that's correct because I've memorized it too. That's it. Those are challenges. Now, you could, if you're like, like an hour outside of Bangkok and people say, where are you going? And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, tell me later. <laughs> So they shortened it up, they're, they're, they shortened it all up, and the first word that she said was Grung Tep. And actually, you'd be familiar with a city in America that has the exact same meaning as Grung Tep, and that is Los Angeles. The angels, the city of angels. That's what, that's what the city of Bangkok means. So, put it in perspective, in spite of the challenges, when God's people can overcome their cultural differences, they can get past what they don't feel is comfortable for them. The gospel goes forward, and this is where I want you to share. Hi, my name is Kamon Buddha. Um, be a good Buddhist, 
know, kill the animals that typical that you try to get away from ants or mosquitoes. But most of the time you just can't avoid it, you just have to kill it, right? So I consider myself as not good Buddhist. I still eat, you know, chicken, <laughs> and going to different classes kind of like, oh, you're bad, you're bad, I can't. So that didn't help either. Um, one day, uh, my friend and I saw a sign, free English at one house. That, um, so um, my friend and I just joined the class one summer when I was about 12 years, no, when I was 11 years old, when I was in sixth grade at that time. And when I walked in there, I was never the same again. After listening to the Bible story, that was the first time in my life hearing God, the Word of God, and seeing Christian song. That was so different. And uh, I love it. I love the atmosphere there. I love to sing, not, not knowing a lot. Um, I would sit and listen and sing. The song that I learned at that time was, This is My Father's Word. Uh, it talks about how God created the world, you know, how you become a sinner and you, you die and go to hell. It's pretty much like the whole gospel on that, just that one song. But it just repeat, keep repeating over and over, so it's great. I remember that. And then the song that really struck, stuck in my little mind at that time was, No one can help you like Jesus can. No, not one. You know, Jesus is your best friend. And I was like, really? Growing up, sitting in the Buddha teaching, he, his last word was like, no one can help you. You have to help yourself. You have to earn your way to a um, no. better place, to collect all your mark, karma, all you can. So um, I understand that concept that no one can help you. I hear it all the time. Uh, it's Buddha final teaching. He encouraged us to follow his path and don't rely on your um, your future. You have to keep doing it every day. This life was next life is so important. So um, and after a while, I finished sixth grade, going to junior high. My life um, changed forever. Again, because one day my mom, I was expecting to go to school, my mom came with that bad news. She said, you're not going to school anymore. And I was shocked. And I, I didn't know how to take that news. I was, I cried a lot every day, uh, seeing my friend all go to school. And I hide myself in the house and lock myself. During that time, my mom was gone a lot. I didn't know what's going on with her. Um, but I remember the good time that I had in the past summer with the Christian friend, the teacher. So after I arrived, one month, two months, three months passed. I was like, I gotta do something with my life. And I remember, I don't know why, I would remember the name of that road, that the church was there on the other side of the town. And that was the only thing that I remember. And I grabbed my bike and I determined to go and find a church. 
So it took me several trips to find, finally found a church, and I would just go there in the afternoon because I know they probably teach English sometime in the afternoon at two. So I'd go there and look into it. Not brave enough because I was quite a child. And they probably don't remember. So I just go home and then I'll make myself brave enough to ride the bike and go look at the church again. I don't know how many times. But finally, I was brave enough to walk in and walk into the church. And during that time of the year, was, even though it was a really bad year of my life, but it's also one of the best years of my life. I found a safe place for me. Growing up with no dad, my mom was gone all the time. I learned to protect myself. So I go there, and I know this is a safe place. I know I love singing. I want to know more about God. And I made myself go there every day. I don't know what they were thinking. What is she going doing here every day? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when there was no class. But somehow I made myself to be in there every day. And they're probably wondering, why is she not going to school? But they did not ask me or intimidate me. Um, scare me away, they just accepted me, feed me food, do, attend the church, do whatever I do, cleaning, coloring, helping in any way I can. That was the same place. And during that year, there was one evangelistic meeting, one single missionary came, uh, lady came and witnessed me. And that just clicked to me, no one, no, not one, no one can help me like Jesus can. She showed me the plan of salvation. He showed me that Jesus is the Son of God died on the cross, saved me from my sin. I knew that I was a sinner. I steal my mom's money all the time. I lie all the time. I had no problem recognizing that I'm a sinner. I killed an animal and all of that. All of that. I was born in an animal of mosquitoes, maybe 10 lives before I born again. So it's very confusing. Um, mindset. So anyway, and here the simple plan of salvation. You're born and you're here. God saved you. Jesus died on the cross for you. And you, when you die, you go to heaven with God, with Christ forever. And I was like, that's it? Really? So I don't have to go to hell and spend time? I don't know how many times, long time in hell. But I accept Jesus Christ into my heart that day. And growing, going Going to the church, I was hard to learn to obey the Bible that was struggling. It was hard, but God who lives in me, He gently, Jesus gently teach me how to be a good daughter, even though I struggled throughout high school. But during that time, uh, the church always had a mission minded because my pastor was missionaries from the Philippines. How is Chinese people to? Take up the cross, share Christ, and then take up another step to consider serving the Lord full-time ministry. I was so scared. My brother was to help my mom to settle down to be a st stable and then support my mom or my brother or my sister because they are younger than me. And I was like, no, I, I'm, I, I can't say anything for people. Um, I, would, I would do that. So I pretty much said, no. So I avoided it. And then after I finished high school, 
Anyway, thank God by the help of the foundation that helped me support me to go back to school and finish. And, and so I finished high school and I stayed around the town for a little bit. And my mom came and told me that, hey, I have a plan. I want to open a small restaurant. Would you like to help me? I thought, okay. Um, you know, I thought she had changed. Uh, her, big, her biggest problem was she was getting involved in playing gambling and she. she Sun Sun. Uh, uh, she spent all her money and gambled away, and we lost her uh, the house, we lost everything, and we had to scare her. So, anyway, at that time, she wanted to start a new life and said, Okay, I'll give her a year to help her out. And then things going well, and she got the money, and she can't say no, so she went back to gambling and spent everything. And at that time, I realized that God used that lesson to teach me to not to focus on myself, but to trust in God completely and do what God's will for me. So at that, I went to camp, dedicated my life again, and uh, at camp. And I moved 10 hours away from my town to go to a small Christian college in Bangkok. And at that time, the second year, I met my husband. Uh, now husband, I met Nate. And there was nothing, uh, really, <laughs> yes, but God allowed us in 2000 to um, be married. We dated for um, two months. <laughs> <laughs> No, we know each other for a, a year. Two, two years, two years. <laughs> but we worked together for three months. That's uh, not helping. We were together and we were married in 2000. Now we're missionary, full-time service in 2003. My life is a testimony that missions really does work. And now I'm hoping to do the same. My family, my extended family, still not trusting, trusting in Christ. Actually, my sister came to know the Lord uh, when I was in high school. And then my mom came to know the Lord just before I got married. And that was the best day uh, in my life. I was praying and begging God for 10 years for her to um, listen to the gospel. And thank you. Again, my life is the testimony that missions work. Thank you. Ma many years ago, ABWE's first mission field, I'm with Baptist Missions, but I'll throw it out for ABW. ABWE's first mission field was the Philippines. As people grew, churches were planted, people were challenged to consider missions the way those American missionaries went to the Philippines. Filipino missionaries went to Thailand, and those Filipino missionaries were the ones who led my wife to the Lord. Guys, I'm going to say it again. If we can get out of God's way and we get past the comfort and we think the things that we need to live life and get past cultural stuff, God wants to work. And we dated longer than two months. 